Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 151 of the podcast, where I sit down with entrepreneur, pastor, speaker, and author, Chris Brown. I've been following Chris for a long time, and I know you're going to love his unique voice and the way he has kind of nuanced a message about his personal pain into new life. Uh, Chris is an incredible communicator, and he's a great storyteller, and he believes that God wants to do something with your pain. So if you find yourself in pain today, if you are struggling maybe with a relationship or a work situation, this is a podcast just for you. Also, if you haven't done it yet, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, leave us a rating or review on iTunes, and it would be a huge help if you shared this episode with a friend or all over your social media feed. It's a great way to spread the word about what God is doing through this platform. And as a community, that's what we do. We support each other. So, hey, if there's any way that I can support you, uh, prayer requests, or if you um, are looking for more information about a guest, feel free to connect with me. You can go to reclamationpodcast.com. And all my contact information is on there. I'm pretty easy to find on the interwebs. You can follow me on Instagram at TWMilt. I'm usually pretty good about responding to those messages as well. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with the legendary Chris Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have uh, speaker, pastor, and author Chris Brown. Chris, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Yeah. Honored to be on, Tony. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I, so I've been following you since the Dave Ramsey days and then, uh, you were with Dave Ramsey and then Mule Town Farm and that whole, uh, and now you're pastoring a church. Um, I, I wanted to ask right out of the gates, how do you define the difference between, uh, you know, a calling and career? <laughs> That's good. That's a good question. I, I think for me, I've, my calling is a little bit more macro. And I think for all of us, our calling is macro. And so I think we try to uh, think through this little micro calling. And really, our goal is to glorify God. Our goal is to fill heaven. Those of you that are in ministry and you're listening in. And so for me, it's uh, what can I do? What can I leverage? What can I maximize um, in my life to do that? So when I wake up in the morning, heads off the pillow before it goes back on that pillow before the end of the day, what can I maximize for him? So sometimes and during certain seasons, it's a church. And that's what I'm, that's what I feel like God's calling me to in this next season. But all this time for the last 20 something years, it's been, what can I maximize with my skills, with my interests, with my passions, with my experience, with my network, with the, with the energy I have, whatever tools I have in my tool belt, how can I, how can I worship God with that? And how can I, you know, the parable, of the talents, parable, of the bags of gold. Um, how can I be a good steward of anything he's put in my hands? Money time, energy, relationships. And so certain seasons, it might be business consulting. Sometimes it's real estate. Sometimes it's uh, uh, running a farm and uh, running out cabins to people who need minister to and need a free place to stay. Um, And then most recently, it has been launching a church. Sometimes it's books. Sometimes it's speaking on stages all across America. Uh, It's just whatever I can do to bring glory to God. I love that. Um, I, I think there are a lot of people listening who are like, yeah, I want that. And yet I think there's also a big question too about how, how do you know when the right time to pivot is? Like, how, how do you hear from God and and what's your kind of rhythm of like, because I, I can get a little ADD about things myself. And so like my wife and I had to create a set of rules. You're not allowed to quit a job until you have a job, those kind of things, you know, like, um, you know, just kind of like, 
how do you know when God's telling you, okay, time to shift? Yeah, totally. Well, you know, I love your, I love your questions. I, I love that you're, you're uh, catching me off guard because sometimes these get kind of these uh, <laughs> podcasts get a little stale and a little redundant. So this is awesome. This is fun. Um, you know, Proverbs 22, seven talks about, and this will be a really weird reference for those of you that know the Bible well, uh, for this particular question, it says the borrower is enslaved to the lender. And this whole idea of slavery or bondage to your person who lends you money, I think the same thing can go for, you can be enslaved to an employer. You can be enslaved to a situation. You could be enslaved, obviously, to somebody you owe money to as well. When you're talking about how do you know when to shift, a lot of folks don't even have the option because they're so in bondage to mm. either debt. And some of my Ramsey's coming out. I apologize. But uh, you're, in, you're in debt or you are like so, so because you're spending, maybe you're not in debt, but because you're living right up to the edge and you have no margin, you have no savings, you have to work there. You can't transfer to another industry. For me, I've jumped industries like crazy throughout um, throughout my, you know, whatever it's been, 20, 25 years of career, um, just because I could and because I wanted to. Well, how did that happen? Well, because of margin. Uh, obviously, you're always praying to God, asking what he'd want from you. Um, but I don't think there's this isolated will. Like, man, if you do this one thing on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, you are in his will. Don't you dare work on a Wednesday. And don't you dare work at that street because you're supposed to work at that street. I don't think that's the way it is. I think the Bible says he makes your crooked paths straight. He doesn't say he, he makes your straight paths straighter. They're crooked. We don't even know what we're doing. We're never 100% sure. He never speaks down to us. And I don't know about everyone else, but for me, he never speaks audibly. Hey, Chris, go to the right four steps. Never, never. His word is a lamp unto our feet. A lamp, not a big, huge monster like, uh, you know, um, stadium lights. No, it's just for those next couple steps. He just whispers in your ear. I've never been more than 85% sure that God's speaking to me and telling me to go a certain direction. For me, I'm like, does it line up with the Bible? Does it line up with my passions? Does it line up with my experience and my giftings? Okay, let's go. Um, and that's about as, and you've got to have margin though. You've got to have money in the bank. You've got to have some money in your emotional bandwidth. Um, to be able to think through and process, you got to put your pros and cons. You got to say, okay, this is a wise decision. Read through the Proverbs. I love reading a proverb a day. Um, and so you're always acting in wisdom. Not always. That's an extreme. But most of the time, uh, working in wisdom. And then you hope that you make good, wise decisions. So um, one of the things that's clear is that uh, you love being in Scripture. We love talking about disciple-making here and our disciplines. And one of the things we say around here a lot is that if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. Mm -hmm. And so I love to ask people, what are some of your daily like disciplines, things that you have to do in order to be um, the person that God has called you to be? Well, for me, it's not like, a, okay, hey, Tony, when I get up in the morning, I spend 13.5 minutes in the scripture. And then I go and I take 10 steps to the left and I get on my knees and I pray for 18 minutes. For me, it's like lightness and darkness. We've got these two things in our life. We're going to be exposed to darkness throughout the day, and we're going to be exposed to light, depending on whether we make good choices. For me, I've gone through seasons or I've gone through days or even gone through weeks. I might get into a Netflix show that I shouldn't be watching. A conviction just came all over the show just now for everybody. But uh, 
And I will find myself because I'm really into that like crime. And so when, with crime comes drugs and it comes violence and it comes some cussing. And I will watch a Netflix show and get kind of like one after another. And I'll find my spirit internally in my soul and my I, I can feel darkness. My thought patterns, I'll immediately walk outside and I'll be like, Okay, that door over there looks sketchy. I wonder if there's a drug deal going by. Like, where my mind? I'm what? How? I'm in like this beautiful suburban, uh, sur- uh, suburb of Nashville, and here I am thinking about drug deals. And like, I, I just filled my my mind with so much darkness. So if you're asking me the question, how do I? I, I just want the light to drown out the darkness. Yeah. So some days that could be two hours. Some days it could be 15 minutes. Some days it could be six hours. Uh, when I look at a given week, I'm looking at the rhythms of my life. I want the light to by far trump the darkness. And ideally we'd get all the darkness out of our lives. But man, I'd be lying to everybody on this show. If I said, man, I don't, I don't, I don't stumble upon a Netflix show every once in a while where I feel guilty. You know, those Netflix shows where you're like, Hey dude, you got to watch this. And then you're like, you find out, oh, shoot, I was desensitized. I didn't know it was that bad. I can't believe I recommended that to someone. I'm supposed to be a pastor. You know, so those, <laughs> there's some of those moments for sure. <laughs> yes, yes, and amen. <laughs> that that happens, I think, to a lot of us frequently. Um, I, I love the idea of the light. Uh, do you have any regular rhythms? Uh, and I, I know, uh, you know, in your church community is important. I know you've obviously got a church community, but I get the impression that you've been walking with um, people for a long time, like a, an intentional community. You know, I followed you long enough on on Instagram to know that. Uh, what kind of rhythms do you have with other guys who can maybe help you see things that you can't see on your own? Yeah, I'm super big on the proximity principle. And First uh, Corinthians 15, 33 uh, says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good behavior or good habits. Another translation says, and uh, that first part of that verse is do not be misled. Well, the reason why that's there is because we could be misled. And we think that being around the wrong people aren't, isn't going to affect us, but it will. It really will. When I was a kid, my mom used to say, if you act, if you hang around with trash, you'll begin to smell like it. Uh, mm. I've heard other sayings that we can't repeat on this podcast. Sure, <laughs> but uh, I think we, I think we all get the point. But the opposite is true too. If you, if you're going to act like who you hang out with. You got to hang out with people with a victim's mentality or a victor's mentality. Which one's it going to be? One's going to pull you up. One's going to push you down. One's going to get you to think higher and get you to uh, to see things that are at a higher level. So for me, proximity principle, I've always tried to surround myself with people that are way further along the journey than I am. Uh, and all of us listening in, you all come from different backgrounds and uh, different industries and um, just uh, whatever in your world, somebody who's farther than you are. Uh, needs to be pulling you along. And so for me, I've just been really blessed. My childhood, I didn't have a whole lot of, fa- I didn't have like a father figure. I had lots of men in my life, but they were all uh, just kind of a bad example of what fatherhood should be. And so I had a ton of gaps in my life when it came to fatherhood. But somehow, man, God has been so good through middle school, through high school, through college, through my adult life. God has really put me around a lot of great godly men who have mentored me and uh, led me. And uh, even uh, in ministry, I've uh, found myself uh, serving alongside some really like some spiritual giants and just been uh, really favored in that area. So proximity principle, I just ask everybody listening in, who are you hanging out with? 
um, are they pulling you up or are they pushing you down? There's actually a financial stat out there that says you'll make within 10% of the 10 people that you hang out with the most hmm. uh, throughout your lifetime. Your, your lifetime uh, income will be within 10%. So some of you were like, man, I need new friends, right? <laughs> so you just got to be careful who you're hanging out with and they'll get you to think higher or they'll think lower. You know, that victim's mentality of can't get ahead. Man, this life is so hard. And then the, the government's out to get us. And this whole focusing on what you can't control. Or are you a winner and focus on what you can control? Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. As you said, proximity, I, I had a thought in my head. Um because one of the things that's I've noticed is uh, you and your wife are now doing ministry together in very close proximity, and it would it would seem you know just you know thinking about this logically, you guys are in proximity together all the time. You guys have been married for over twenty years. Um, um, best I can tell, first time you guys have ever worked together. What what has it been like having your wife on the church staff that you get to manage? Yeah, there was a small season of about five years in uh, South Florida where we served together before, and we absolutely love it. I mean, it is, it is, I just feel like it's almost, it's just not fair uh, that mm-hmm. we get to work together. It's a black, we are, we truly are best friends uh, way before we are husband and wife. We just absolutely love each other, and we don't see eye to eye on every decision. That is for darn sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's my incorrect answer and then her, her, her correct answer. <laughs> uh, so she is just really, really smart and, um, just really, really sharp. And so, um, we love serving together. I think we have to be mindful though, that yeah. sometimes we get a little too driven and we get a little bit too ministry focused and, um, you know, we get a little too, um, desensitized to how special it is and get too familiar the law of familiarity is a big one for us. We, we can see it creep in like crazy. And next thing you know, there goes romance and there goes love and respect. There come, here comes the sarcasm. Here comes the uh, just being too direct and uh, really slash rude. And so we have to slow that down every once in a while and say, hey, we're acting like, like uh, business partners or we're acting like ministry partners or, or co-workers. And that's not okay. We need to remember that we are... Uh, uh, we're lifetime partners and uh, we're in love. We need to remember that. So that, that does come with challenges for sure, but I'll yeah. take the pros over the cons all day long. Do you guys have to do much to protect not talking about church or, you know, your work at home? Cause I, I mean, I know that in, in my world I can get, I mean, I, I'm fairly driven and I can be, I'm addictive. I have addictive personality. And so like, I'm like, well, we should be talking about all the things that you know, we're engaged in together at home and that's not always a healthy rhythm. Do you guys have to battle that very often? Yeah. You know, we, we're the same boat. We, uh, she's an eight on the Enneagram. I'm a three, but we both are like super high achievers and like, we probably run way too hard, way too fast. Um, we just love getting stuff done. We love checking yeah. things off a list. Uh, we love uh, being able to say that we left the cave and, and, uh, uh, killed something and brought it home. So we just, we just love winning. So, um, I, you know, for me, when, the, the way we started this conversation is we started this conversation with um, um, you had asked me about calling and I, I, I told you about macro calling versus micro calling. And um, our macro calling is ministry. And it's not a thing that we do between nine and five or nine and four. It's, this is, it's a lifestyle of ministry and loving on people. And so it's kind of hard to gauge where the line is. Um, is there a time where we're like, Hey, we're going to go away for a couple of days and just focus on each other. Or, Hey, you know what? From like 6, 8, 6 PM to 8 PM, we're going to have a dinner right now with no phones. 
I think that's wise, but I think to like, for me to only work 40 or 50 hours and then shut it off. And then there's like 40 or 50 hours for us to, you know, just to, for recreation. I, I, I have a problem with that ratio for me. I feel like you only, when that YOLO thing, you only live once. I feel like you only live once for the kingdom. You only live once for God. I think we got all of heaven to enjoy ourselves. So we're probably a little weird that way. We're just, um, we actually, when we like, Hey man, we're going to really like spend the weekend Friday and Saturday and Sunday and walk around the farm. And we're going to go out to breakfast, lunch and dinner. And we're going to go shop. We get bored. Like we're just like, they're just things. And I'm so for us, it's most fulfilling to us when we can combine community and purpose together. Mm-hmm. I think when in our lives, when we have community without purpose, what we have is, is, is a distraction. And when we have purpose, but no community, it turns into an obligation. Uh, so I think when you have the, the hybrid of both of those together, that's where we have the most fulfilling and rewarding lives. There's a scripture uh, found in Proverbs eleven twenty five that says, uh, the generous will prosper. But the second part of that verse says, um, those who uh, refresh others themselves are refreshed. And I just think it, I mean, when we need refreshment, the first thing that uh, the Western world or America, probably the whole world, the first thing we do is like, oh, I need a massage. I need a vacation. And I need, a, I need to coddle myself. I need to self-care. <laughs> the times where I've been the most refreshed in my life is when I'm focused on others, not myself. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really good. I, I'm an eight on the Enneagram as well, and my wife gets nervous if I'm sitting too long because that's generally mean I'm not in a healthy place. Like it's just not a good it's just not a good vibe for me at all. Um, it, you know, you you've mentioned a couple times about the idea of of winning, and um, it's interesting because the book is very vulnerable about all the things that you've lost. And so I, I would love to hear about um, how God moved in your heart that, hey, this is the time for me to share some really tough stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, when I worked at Dave Ramsey's, um, those of you that are familiar with uh, my role at Ramsey Solutions, and some of you don't know Dave Ramsey, but he's a um, kind of America's voice on personal finance, especially when it comes to a biblical approach. And change our real- life for sure. Yeah, just a real conservative approach. There's other approaches out there that talk about, you know, debt leveraging and stuff like that. But he's more he's more conservative. But anyway, my role there was to be his voice to the church in America, specifically from the biblical side of personal finance, which is with this term called stewardship, which, you know, some of you may have heard that in church and you think automatically think giving campaign. That's not what it means. The word stewardship actually means managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. And it's not just about money. It's managing everything in our life for him. And it stems from a passage of scripture in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold, where one of the servants was given five bags, one was given two bags, one was given one bag. And the whole point is when the master came back, they had to give an account for what they did with what they were given to manage, not own, but to manage. And uh, to go back to your question, why did I feel like I needed to come out with all that? Uh, I, I, I believe that in all of us, we, have a, we all have pain. We all have a past. And uh, that past, we can give it purpose. Um, and I think we can all excavate 
uh, all of that pain in a way that's healthy, not in a way that's unhealthy, and leverage that for a lot of different ways. And that's what the book is about. A lots of different like micro pains throughout my childhood and uh, my early adulthood that for me, I'm, 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 I'm on purpose, uh, being vulnerable, being transparent, getting it all out there on my journey on how to take all of those little micro pains and how to leverage those for the kingdom, uh, whether that is to be a better friend, whether it be a better husband, a better dad, whether it's to be uh, to empathize better. Um, so for me, when you says managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory, that also means your past. And so mm-hmm. for me, I couldn't help but teach stewardship about money for four or five years and not take that same principle and say, hey, Chris, you have a pretty crazy jacked up past. How can you steward that for the kingdom? And for me, the number one way is to document it all and try to make sense of it all and then share it all no matter how vulnerable I feel. What did you learn about yourself in the process of writing it all down on paper? Well, you know, there's one thing to recall a story loosely. Then it's another thing to dive into an old story and like relive it and uh, dive into like, what did it smell like? What did it look like in that room? What did it feel like? Um, what was I, what was my, what were the emotions I was feeling at the time? And you can kind of go back and just see the the, the, the cockroach going across the, the carpet and you can kind of hear the neighbors speaking through the thin walls. Uh, you can you just replay all the smells and, um, that was tough. That was a tough process. I, I, I learned a lot about, um, how much pain I still have and I need to process, uh, how much I kind of like just shoved down. But when you start to relive it, it's a hard, it's a grueling process, but I'm telling you already, the book doesn't even come out for a little while. Um, at the time we're recording this, it doesn't come out for a couple while, uh, a couple months, but, um, when it does, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to, uh, it's going to be very, very, um, I'm going to feel very exposed and vulnerable that everyone's got this in their hands and that everyone's reading the deepest parts of my life. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Chris to remind you about the business leaders cohort through spirit and truth. That's right. For 12 months, I'm going to connect with like-minded leaders who want to excel in their faith and their work. This Christian leader, Christian business leaders cohort is through my ministry here at spirit and truth. And to learn more, to get connected, go to spiritandtruth.life, spiritandtruth.life. Now let's continue our conversation with Pastor Chris. Yeah, I, I think that there are probably a lot of people who are going to get their hands on this book and read about the, the various moments in your story, um, because you tell them with great detail, and then you tie them to something current uh, or, or you know, kind of as an adult in a lot of cases, um, and be like, I don't know if I could do that with my story. And I, I guess I would be interested in hearing your thoughts on, because I do believe this has got to be, have some healing attributes. And, and I do believe biblically that God wants to, to use our pain to build the kingdom. H- how do we get from, okay, I've got serious pain to, okay, I'm going to let God use it to build the kingdom. Like what is, is there, is there some magical steps in the middle or is it just write it down and let it out? Yeah, well, I think, pro- you know, finding some safe places to process. For me, my wife is a great source um, to process. And I went, I did go to several counselors to to get me to see things from a different point of view. 
uh, one of the things I had several uh, men in my life that were um, less than ideal men to have around the home, to just put that nice and loosely. Um, lots of violence, lots of anger, lots of irresponsibility, lots of uh, just un- instability big time. And so I always just naturally, it just made sense to be really, really angry at the, angry at the guys. All these men, I'm like so angry with her boyfriend or her husband or my mom was married four times and just uh, automatically I assumed that. Well, as I got in and talking to a counselor, I realized and this was a big revelation. I can still remember where I was sitting when, when, when this uh, counselor kind of enlightened me on this. And uh, she leaned over and she said, hey, your, your issue is not really with your dad or your dad's. Your real issue is with your mom. Uh, your anger is in your mom's decision-making and her instability and her, uh, that you weren't good enough for her as a life partner that she had to keep running to bad men and that you were mad because you were a great provider when there was no men around. You took a lot of pride in the fact that you actually, uh, ran the home. You did all the laundry. You helped cook. You helped take care of your little brother. You went and worked after school. You gave her all the money when you worked after school. You got great grades. And then, then she'd just go find another bum. And then she would ditch you and treat you like a kid again. And she treated you like a husband. And then she treated you like a kid. And treated you like, and that's so unstable and so unfair and so bad emotionally for you that you're actually angry at your mom. And uh, th- those kind of revelations happen when you process with somebody. So if somebody's wanting to excavate the pain from their past, uh, you find some safe places to process and allow yourself to go through the deep work. There is a, there is a fulfilling, joy-filled life on the other side of excavating your pain and transforming the sting of your pain into purpose for today. I- I'm also curious... Um your kids are teenagers for the most part, I think. And, um, I've got a 16 year old son who I'm trying to disciple and grow into young manhood. And, um, at at what point did, I mean, this is obviously, this is going to impact them. Mm -hmm. Um, what was that conversation like to expose your pain? And, and I mean, this is, again, people should pick up the book because there's no way we could tell all the stories, that you experienced it's it's just you know it's it's heartbreaking it's wild it's all of it um how how did you expose that pain to your kids and then give them space to feel whatever it is they needed to feel as well yeah i think the 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 most notable dynamic between me and my kids when it comes to this work is uh it's been really hard for me throughout the years to not uh their childhood looks a lot different than mine, sure. to say the least. Their childhood is dramatic; could not be further the, from the from what. And really, that's me rebelling against what I experienced and said, "No, not on my watch. That's not going to happen to my kids." But I've got to be really careful not to lead them from my baggage. I've got to be really careful, man. I I get super like bent out of shape when it comes to if I even sense a little bit of entitlement. <laughs> when you come from a upbringing like I came from, or if they throw away food from somebody who has a scarcity mindset still today, mm. um, those kind of things that come out, if I hear, and of course we all have entitlement in us, let's just go ahead and be honest. Yeah, but yeah, when it, yeah. man, there's something about teenagers, they don't know how to mask it. And it's just so blatant and so obvious. And you're like, no way. Are you serious? Like these $130 shoes are not good enough for you. 
well, you have like eight pairs of them. Like, this is really, are we serious right now? Um, or like, you just, you just, it's normal to spend 40 bucks at the bowling alley. You know, it's like, what, how did we get here? For me, that's just so weird for me. Like growing up, that would never happen. And so I've got to be really careful not to lead from my baggage as far as how they receive it. They're proud of dad. Um, they're proud of my vulnerability. They don't know what to do with that vulnerability and that authenticity and genuineness and like uh, raw. Just in today's world, it's so rare. Everyone's yeah. putting on a front. Everyone's got a mask. We got it all put together. And so uh, I actually start the book off with uh, a boardroom discussion with my boss and my boss's bosses. This is actually at Ramsey Solutions. Um, and uh, they were telling me we were breaking down game film of one of my talks. And one of them just said, Hey, you know, like you just come across as like, you're this guy that was, you know, silver spoon in your mouth and you've, you've got the look and like, man, we just know you grew up on the right side of the railroad tracks kind of thing. And I was like, I could not even believe that people look at me that way. I, I don't see myself that way at all. And so when I let them know a little bit more about my past, they're like, Whoa. And so for me, it's just to remember you know, that authenticity and transparency goes a long way. And my kids really appreciate that. One of the areas that you touch on in the, in the book, that's kind of uh, something I wanted to, to drill down a little bit deeper is the difference between sin and shame. And it, it, there's an interesting, um, you know, part in the, in the book about that, but it feels like it's so big in our community. I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the difference between sin and shame and how they both have the tendency to, really wreck our lives. Yeah. You know, the, um, the biggest thing about sin that we don't, we don't really, uh, when we're in the middle of it, whether it's private sin or public sin, especially the private stuff, cause you kind of like subconsciously think that you're getting away with it. Sure. Um, we have to understand that you cannot have sin and have peace at the same time. Hmm. It's impossible. You can't. So when you sin, even privately, even in your thought life and you like dwell on that and you don't capture that thought and throw it away, you actually hold on to it and allow it to take you captive. You, what you're doing is you're forfeiting peace at the same time. And so even if there's no shame involved, we are always making that decision, sin or peace, but you cannot have both. And so when you find yourself grouchy, you find yourself impatient when you come home, you find yourself not really enjoying the moment, you can't even be in the moment. All that stuff is a lack of peace because you're mm. carrying some kind of lifestyle of sin. Now, you can not have peace for other reasons, too. But when you carry sin, a lifestyle of sin, a continual choice of sin, you are giving up peace. Um, when it comes to shame, I try to I try to preach like this whenever I, I preach on the weekend. Say, hey, this weekend is going to be challenging. This is going to be a convicting subject for all of us, myself included. As long as we understand the Holy Spirit convicts us because, well, the Holy Spirit's active. The Holy Spirit cares about us. The Holy Spirit loves us. And so the Holy Spirit is going to be involved. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you're listening in right now and you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you because the Holy Spirit wants what's best for you. doesn't want anything from you. But John 10, 10 says that he came to give us life and life to the full, life abundantly. We give that up. We give up life to the full and life abundantly. Why? Because of sin. We're <laughs> giving up peace in this sin. And so for what I would just say, I tell people every weekend, hey, shame off of you, not shame on you. This is not mm. about shame. This is not about condemnation. This is about giving you a glimpse of what God wants for you so that you can live the life that he came to give you. He's a loving father. 
He wants what's best for us. And when we choose sin, he doesn't want to shame you. Think about a loving father. A loving father doesn't want to shame their kids. A loving father just generally wants what's best for you and wants you to live in peace. Because when he says life to the full, life abundantly, he's not talking about a Mercedes in a mansion. He's talking about peace. He's talking about comfort. He's talking about joy. He's talking about fulfillment. You can't have that in a lifestyle of sin. I love that language, shame off of you. Are there, uh, you know, I would imagine, like, aside from self-talk, is there anything else that you do to try to, like, make sure that you can keep that shame off of you? I mean, um, I'm, I'm from a Wesleyan tradition, so I'm in a band meeting. We get together and confess sins as a way to just, you know, kind of release all that. I'm curious if you have any practices in your life that people could steal to help keep the shame off of them. Yeah, I think, you know, I've not formalized this because it's such a deep part of who I am. But if somebody wanted to formalize this, whenever you have your quiet time or God time or whatever you call it, you could put in your top right hand corner of your journal or whatever you do, however you want to formalize this. But you've got to understand at the core identity of who you are, exactly who you are. You are not your heritage. You are not your pedigree. You are not your uh, family lineage. You are not what you did yesterday. You're not your position. You're not your social network. You're not what, what suburb you live in or what part of the street you live in. You're not your economic status. You're not your religious, uh, your uh, um, a political party. Your identity, your durable core of who you are, if you don't get this right, you're not going to be durable. You're going to be fragile. And so you're going to be insecure all the time, and you're going to be waffling, waffling to the left and waffling to the right. And so you've got to understand you were made on purpose in God's image, number one. You are his workmanship, the Bible says. The Bible goes on to say that you are made for a purpose. So if you don't understand that, there's no way you can – you're always going to be in shame of like, oh, I just – I did this wrong. I did that wrong. No, he did not make a perfect. He's made in your, you're made in his image. He didn't make another God. He didn't make another G like you're not supposed to be perfect. So a lot of times we have unrealistic expectations. When we drop the ball or we make a mistake, we're shocked. Why are we shocked? I don't, we, the fact that we made a mistake, it's like, hello, it's not if you're going to make a mistake, a mistake, it's when, and hopefully throughout your journey, you're making different mistakes. But I, the shame thing will absolutely wreck you. And so you got to remember who you are and however you formalize that's up to you. And if you really remember who you are and you remember God's promises of all the times that he showed his love, Luke 15 is another one, as far as the prodigal son and how he loved, hey, you made a mistake. Come on in. We're going to actually throw a party for you, right? Read Luke 15. That's who, that's who your God is. And so you may just have an inaccurate view of your loving father. That's great. Uh, and and the best way to get that accurate view is to go back to scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or and, 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 you know, and someone you can really have just really remember go back to friends proximity principle. People that know the Bible more than you, or people that know that have already wrestled with this before you, or people, and they can actually relay scriptures to you um, verbally. Um, if you're not kind of a reader or whatever, you do need to be in the Word. Everybody needs to be in the Word directly. But man, if you're not there yet. Just get around people who are in the word and borrow their faith for a little while. Yeah, I love that. I think it really prevents us from remaking God in our image. Instead, we can be transformed in his. And that difference feels so profound. And I I think is a lot about what you're talking about. Um, And I, I know that my listeners, they love to pray. And is this book 
kind of gets out into the wilderness and and really gets out there how can they be praying for you and and kind of what's the the general kind of corporate prayer for the book hmm. Well, the goal is, and the way it's the way it's written is, there's yes, there's a story that's compelling and a story that's interesting, and um, one that gets you know allows you to get to know the author a little bit more, and you can kind of see yourself in the story. So that each chapter is kind of in this loose model where you got story that gets everyone's attention and it's captivating and it and get you to think a little bit. Then after that is okay. How did the pain that came from that, or the tragedy that came out of it, how can we leverage that? Gets everyone to think in a different way, um, to think kind of a different perspective of like not poor me, but how can I transform this sting of this uh, into purpose? And then the like the third third of each chapter is okay. What are some ways that we can apply this to our lives and uh, kind of give everybody some ideas on how this may look in their life? And so. The prayer would be that everyone would go on that journey uh, of one, the application of all all the, um, the the work it takes to dig up that pain. Number one, and number two, um, that everybody who reads it would um, be open to the vulnerability it takes. I, I really, especially for men, and most of you know all the stats say that most of my readers. Uh, will just naturally be women. I think women, more women read. Uh, there will be an audio <laughs> audio version for men for, uh, for whenever they're doing something else. But um, um, I just, men right now, they're so guarded. And uh, the, the, um, the description of a real man is so distorted and what a real man really is. And um, my goal for men specifically, and I haven't even communicated this with anybody yet, um, but that men would see what a real man should look like. Not that I'm a real man, but the wrestle of the vulnerability and the, um, the strength and weakness. Um, and that just the humility of saying, Hey, I don't have my act together. Um, that everyone feel I'd give them a little bit of a, um, excuse, not excuse, but give them permission, um, uh, to, to lighten up a little bit and not take themselves so seriously. Uh, it's beautiful um, and important. You know, I, I think it's it's really going to cause people to think about their own story. I certainly have seen my own self as I've read parts of your story. I can see parts of my own story in there. And it, it really begins to make me wonder, am I leaving it on the shelf or am I using it to build the kingdom of God, which, you know, I desperately want to do. So uh, yeah. I really appreciate the authenticity. I have one more question for you. Yeah. But before I, before I ask it, I want to... Um, I know my listeners are going to want to find you on the interwebs. Where's the best place to connect with what God is doing through you? Mm. ChrisBrownOnAir.com. All one word, not Chris Brown, no hair. Uh, Chris Brown on air. And uh, that's just because I used to have a, a radio show. But uh, Chris Brown on air on all, all social media platforms and my website. And then, of course, all the book information's on there. Uh, so the last question I always love to ask people is an advice question. And um, I'm going to ask you to go back and give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the, the kind of the time when the advice takes place. Yes. Okay. And so um, I, I want to take you back to, to day one, when you first lived on your own, you, you, you kind of, you're out there doing your own thing. Now you're a young man 
if you could go back and talk to that younger version of Chris, sit him down in a chair right in front of you, look him in the eyes, what's the one important piece of advice that you want to give him? Hmm. Oh man, you got me on this one. Um, all right. But first day as an adult, that's what you're saying here, huh? First day on my own. Uh, I've been blown away my entire adult life by the truth that I really don't know what I don't know. Hmm. I know it doesn't sound deep, but man, I'm telling you, Every season that goes by, I almost laugh at myself at how little I knew three months prior (laughs) and three months prior and three months prior. And now I look back to that day. Oh my goodness. Whatever that was, 18. No, I was 22. uh, Just graduated from college. Uh, That first apartment that Holly and I had and thinking that I was a big boy adult, no offense to any that are 22, but man, I cannot even believe, and I feel like we were doing really well. I think we did great for 22. We did great for 24. We did great for 27, but I am blown away by how little we knew and how, and and, in three months from now and six months from now, 10 years from now, I'm going to laugh at this interview and be like, Chris, that was cute. That was really cute. So just, Hey, everyone be humble and just know that you have no clue. Uh, and there are people that are that have, are older than you, man. Please talk to the seventy-five-year-olds. Please yeah. talk to the eighty-five. Eat the fish and spit out the bones if they start talking about something that's weird. But they've got some tons of wisdom, and uh, we need to listen. That's wonderful, Chris. Thank you so much for your generosity and your vulnerability and your authenticity and and all that in our conversation today. It's it's truly been my pleasure. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Tony. I told you guys, what a powerful dialogue with him. I love his story. I love his vulnerability, his authenticity. It's just such a, man, a great reminder that God wants to do great things through our pain. So follow Chris all over the internet. Let him know that you heard him here on the Reclamation Podcast. Tell him how much you appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you. And I love the community that we're building here together. Thank you guys so much for listening. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.